In the year of 2023, on May the 11th day, we hoisted our sails to the top of the mast and set sail for Brilliant Bay. The captain was Nadia Shireen. The Guardian Review said she had a lovely radio voice. It didn't say much about the cabin boy, <laughs> except that his name is Frank Cottrell Boyce. Welcome to the Island of Brilliance, the podcast that treasures everything that's brilliant in children's books. I was blue, just as blue as I could be. Every day was a cloudy day for me. And as the brilliant sound of the ukulele of trio fades away, I turn to you, Nadia, and say, what's been swinging your hammock these last few days? That's very beautiful, Frank. <laughs> um, I'm moved. I'm moved. I also think that observer of you, you maybe took it to heart a little a too bit. much. Let's just, if anyone didn't read it, let's just go over it again. <laughs> they just, they. what happened was, I was highlighted as having... A lovely vocal presence. Yeah. I think that's what they said. Yeah. And when you say highlighted, is that because you went over that with a highlighter? I then went over it with a highlighter. <laughs> yeah. I've actually I've actually blown it up and put it on the side of my yeah. house. <laughs> Anywho, back to business. Back to business. I'll tell you why. Because I've been a bit naughty, Fran, and I have two books on the go in my hammock at right. the moment. But that happens to the best yeah, of us. Yeah, I've got a couple on the go. That happens to the best of us. So I'm going to talk to you about them. I think, first of all, I want to talk to you about a book by Ed Veer, picture book maker Ed Veer. And it is called The Artist, and it's his new picture book. Um, Full disclosure, Ed is a friend, but everyone should then know that that makes what I'm about to do much, much harder, which is say that this is a fantastic picture book. You know, we hate it yeah. when our friends become successful. Yeah. A little bit of us dies. A little bit of us dies. But it is an absolutely beautiful picture book about a dinosaur who is an artist. She is the artist. She is free and expressive and just loves drawing. And it's not a very wordy picture book. But what Ed has done is communicate the emotions, the motivations and the problems of any artist, whether they are three or 80 and he's communicated it mainly through image he's used his words very carefully so this young artist dragon goes into the world she leaves her colorful beautiful dinosaur world and sets sail and lands in a kind of urban metropolis and she starts to paint all over the gray buildings and fills this city with color and it's so beautiful Ed, you know, we've been working in picture books around the same kind of time, like the last 10 years. And you can really see his artwork has just developed to a ridiculous degree. Someone up their game. Yeah, his books have always been beautiful, but he has really upped his game with this one. I think this one has taken him a couple of years. Yeah, it sounds like it's really from the heart. It really is. And as I say, because he's my friend, we don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) because it would fill me with rage but I can see what's gone into it and it is full of heart and I think it's quite a rare thing to find a picture book that tells you so much by pulling back right he's been so careful in how many words he uses and what he says we read a lot of this book through the image it's fantastic for teachers who want to maybe explore or parents who want to explore this whole idea of visual literacy and and the young dinosaur 
starts painting all over these grey buildings and everyone's watching her and saying, you're amazing, you're brilliant. And then, da, 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 she colours outside the lines. <laughs> and she she's devastated. But then she's encouraged by the city folk who tell her not to despair. I'm going to read you a little bit. The busy city people gather round. Please don't stop painting, they say. We love your pictures. A little girl steps forward. Colouring outside the lines doesn't matter, she says. Mistakes are how you learn. Heart is what matters and your art is full of heart. Please paint again. And the artist is brave. She tries again. She forgets about lines. She thinks of the world she knows. Alive, it's joy and wonder. The sun and the sky. All its beauty. All of its messy beauty. So that's just a couple oh, of pages. I'm, right, I'm completely there for a defence of messiness. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how, what it how is. How brilliant to choose a dinosaur because we've kind of, like we grew up thinking dinosaurs were very monochrome, and we've learnt that they were really, really colourful. And the colourfulness of dinosaurs seems really important somehow. Yeah, you know. And he's done, he's he's imbued this little dinosaur with kind of she is a massive dinosaur who like looms all over the humans, but she's also so childlike, yeah. and there's this innocence. What I think is so admirable about this book is that it's captured something quite complicated, which is the creative journey of an artist, whether that artist is sitting in a classroom with some Crayola or whether that artist is sitting at an easel with very expensive oil paints. It doesn't really matter. He's captured the essence of what it is to create, what it is to draw. And that that's a childlike activity. It's the Picasso thing, isn't it? Everyone's born an artist. The trick is trying to remain so. Yeah. yeah, well, I thoroughly recommend yeah. it. It's a fantastic picture book um, and it's pretty new. Uh, I think it just came out a few weeks ago. The other book I'm going to sneak in, if that's yeah. okay, it actually came out in 1985 and it's a book called Back Home by Michelle Medorian. Oh, wow. Are you familiar with this book? No, I've never read this book, so I want to hear about it. Go on. Have you read Goodnight, Mr. Yeah. Tom? Which is her yeah, other yeah. another biddy because it's set similar themes. Back Home is about... Um, an evacuee called Rusty, who leaves England when she's seven years old. Uh, she's actually not called Rusty. Her name is Virginia. But we call her Rusty throughout the whole book. She goes to America for five years, is evacuated, comes back to meet her mother. England has changed. Her mother has changed. Rusty has changed. It's so heartbreaking. I was actually crying by page four when it describes the kids get seasick on the boat going back to England. All these now kind of American kids crying about the American families that they've fallen oh in love with, nervous about their English parents. It's a very emotional book. She comes back to England and everything has changed. She doesn't have any friends. She has a new four-year-old brother she's never met who's very suspicious of her. The contrast between America, which was full of colour, music, life love expression Uh, inland by contrast is gray broken shattered they're still rationing her mother has gone through some kind of liberation in a way she sort of found herself she's a mechanic and rusty notices that her mother can't really talk they can't really communicate but her mother comes alive when she's trying to you know, fix a car. So it's just about how the war has changed everyone. And it's about Rusty finding her feet and trying to find herself again. You know, it's like, it's home, but it's not home. 
and she keeps the title back home comes from casually when she's talking at the beginning and introducing herself she goes oh back home everyone calls me rusty and her mother just stiffens right okay that's so interesting so what are you rereading that did you read it as a kid i'm rereading it i read it i read it as a kid so i read it when i was um i must have read it when i was about 10 or 11 i guess and what what's made you reread that what's drawn you back to it it had always it had always stuck with me certain scenes had kind of haunted me in the best way they'd really i just remember the emotional tug of it and i saw it yeah. in a second-hand bookshop and i could not leave it right okay i was like well i have to get this and reread it also in my original copy there'd been a printing error and a section of the book had been reprinted so there was a whole section towards the back of the book that i had never read and so i wanted wow, this very yeah, I'd wa- i know i'd wanted the experience of kind of reading it seamlessly for me it's lost none of its emotional pull it's a big book it's not an easy read necessarily because she's pretty unflinching writing about what people went through and all the rest of it mr tom's quite dark yeah this also is dark and i would say you know her vision of post-war england is and not just the place but also the people pretty unremitted like it's pretty dark there are not many characters who give rusty hope you really have to go with her through this dark forest right. you know, she gets sent to a boarding school everyone's horrible you know it just gets worse and worse and you're just like oh rusty you're just rooting for her it makes me cry now for different reasons because i read it as a 10 year old now i'm reading it as a 45 year old mother yeah like now i'm picking up on all the silent stoic heartbreak of the adults that she, you know she <laughs> cleverly very cleverly allusions to maybe love affairs that happened and she's had to move you know there's a gi that's mentioned a lot and you never really get into right. the detail of why he's mentioned so much and it's like yeah, yeah, yes yeah. well he's not here anymore he's had to go back to america so nothing's explicitly written about but it's suggested right and the mother just trying desperately to reconnect with this strange american girl who's apparently her daughter I really recommend it's absorbing. It is heartbreaking. No, I, I have done loud, noisy crying to this book. If anyone fancies a sob, read back home. That's my advice. Now, listen, would you like a top up of your coconut water there? I noticed. I would. I would love that. It's getting a, bit, getting a bit hot, isn't it? Let's get into the shade. Should we shuffle underneath this palm tree here for a bit? Yeah, come on, let's get All under right. the palms. I'm always worried that a coconut's going to fall on my head. It'd be fine. I'm more worried about you've not got your factor 50 on. <laughs> what have I told you? Well, I'll put it on now. I'll get it on now. Go on, thank you. I'll put my little hat on as well. So I've got, I've got a war story too, but it's a very, very different war story. Okay. I have got The Wolf Girl, The Greeks and the Gods by Tom <gasps> Holland. Ooh. But illustrated by Jason Cockcroft. Yes. And it is a lavish book. I mean, this is, it's a hardback. It's quite a big format. And it's its very, very fully illustrated. Amazing spreads. Very, um, yeah, it's just a fantastic looking book. It's lovely to hold in your hand. It's like, it's like holding a movie in your hand. Actually. I have to say, I've noticed those illustrations, Frank, while you've been reading in your hammock. I'm V jealous. They look stunning they great. they're absolutely they're stunning fantastic and it's the story of well so it's really quite interesting what he's done it's the story of the war between persia and sparta which is the thermopylae which is 300 you know everybody knows that story so it's a real war but he's written it as though it was troy so the gods 
are active in this war, so, right. just as they are in the story of Troy. So it's mm. just, and it, the hero, the main character is a girl. Um, she's called, I've forgotten her name. What's she called? Patsy. Patsy. Gorgo. Susan. Gorgo. 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 Okay. <laughs> and she's a, no, she, yeah, wouldn't it be, no, <laughs> man. But um, she's, she's a real character. So they're real characters from history mm. and they're interacting with the gods. And I was thinking about, you know, and to, to me, when I picked it up, it reminded me very, very much of my own kind of initiation into these stories. Because these stories never go away. Every generation's mm. got a different kind of gateway to the Greek myths. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a book that Leon Garfield had written and which was illustrated by Charles Keeping mm. called The God Beneath the Sea, okay. which sort of wove all the kind of Greek stories together. And I loved, I loved that. It was similar to this in that it was very lavish and the book itself felt magic and it was very much uh, a library book that he took back, you know. Yeah. Um, But it's kind of interesting, isn't it? They've always been... So I was thinking for my kids, it might might have been Rick Reardon, you know, the Olympus books. I know of them. This is where I have to hold my hand up and say, I have a huge hole in my brain that says Greek mythology here, insert here. Right. Okay. It's always been. So which, you never, this never happened. It never happened for me. Yeah. Because it never came to me as a child, it never sticks. I kind of I have a vague sense. Yeah. But I think there's something very different about coming to this as an adult and coming to it as a child. I mean, I hope it's not too late for me. I want to get my hands on this Tom Holland book. No, you'll love this. Well, I think that will help up cement it. things in my brain, maybe. <laughs> well, there's a bit at the beginning. Yeah. An explainer. Where, where the kind of nanny tells all the stories. So there's kind of like uh, a speed. Okay. Speeded up introduction, prequel. That's what I need. To all the Greek stories. That's what you need. Like, I have a sense of them now as an adult. I've sort of caught up a bit, but I think nothing can probably replicate that feeling that you had, Frank, of kind of picking up those books when you were a kid and kind of the, you know, because I know I've spoken to so many people who've had a similar experience to you. Those Greek myths get embedded when you're a child and they're just... They do. And I think I wondered, I was wondering why, what the pull of them is. And I think part of it, because it's Percy Jackson as well for like a, a later generation, mm. you know, I think the pull, it's partly, is it partly that the Greek myths is like, it's in a fairy tale world, you know, it's people with goat legs and people who talk to owls and all that stuff. But it's actually quite grown up. You know, there's a lot, well, there's a lot of sex that was always kind of implied in the stories. Mm. I mean, it's, if, when you read them properly, that it's just there. But sex in the broadest sense of like jealousies, betrayals, they're very very adult concerns. And you kind of, you have that feeling that you probably shouldn't really be reading this. Yes. Somehow it's supposed to be okay because it's culture and also because it's people talking to people dressed as lightning or, you know, whatever, they live on a mountain. I've always found that element quite fascinating. These bloody like, you know, like fathers eating sons and and I'm like, wow, (laughs) This is, yeah. but, and yet somehow that's the establishment, and that's revered, and that's classic. So you know, it's great. yeah, it's all right. No one's going to cancel Homer. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. Care I think anyway. we should cancel yeah. Homer. Let's be the first people yeah, let's to cancel, cancel Homer. Homer. Yeah, Do you feel absolutely. the same way? Do you feel the same way about Norse myths and kind of Roman gods and that kind of thing, or is it specifically but Greek myths that you're interested? in? They didn't have the same. I mean, I I loved Norse myths, and I kind of related to them because of place names. Yeah, and I, I kind of like the horses and the apple trees and the kind of the geography of it was kind of more attractive to me. But again, they're just like thunder, aren't yeah. they? You know, just like they're incredibly violent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're not, they're not as sexual, not as openly sexual as the Greek ones. But again, that, there was something transgressive about 
why are we being allowed to read this yeah. was sort of on my mind you know so obviously now in contemporary children's literature we've got books like Loki by Louis Stowell we've got Who Let the Gods Out collection by Maz Evans do you think and in adult literature as well there's been a resurgence in the kind of Greek myths being retold so do you think yeah. this book doesn't look like it sits it's not like a modern retelling is it no this is if I was eight or nine and I picked up this Tom Holland book I would think it was an ancient book I mean, not okay. not that it's inaccessible in any way, but the book itself has a kind of magic to it. That the, the way you hold it, the way it, you know, uh, the storytelling, the pictures. It, it's it's the opposite of Percy Jackson. It just absolutely plunges you into the world, and, and it's a real world. So I, I think I'd be I'd be thrilled by it actually because it sort of extends the god's magic into history. So it's it's a retelling of the Peloponnesian War. You know, it is the actual Peloponnesian War, but told as if Artemis was in as a military advisor. Will you um? <laughs> will you give us a lend of it, please, after you've finished? I will give you a lend of that book, and I'm going to also give you a lend of this, which is Kofi and the Rat Battle Summer mm-hmm. uh, by Jeffrey Boacci. Do you know who Jeffrey? Yep. Do, you, do you know him? He um he I I was attracted to this because he is the co-host of my favourite radio programme, which is Add to Playlist, which is okay. a fantastic music programme that he hosts with Terrence oh. Matthews on Radio 4. And he's written this book called Rap Battle Summer, mm. which I'm going to read you a bit about. It's about a kid growing up on an estate in London. Okay. And it's really beautifully plotted and it's really nicely written. But I'm going to read this bit just to you. Uh, so... Kofi is the guy and there's there's a cult in the school of cussing they have these kind of cuss battles and he's got a friend called Kelvin who has he can remember every single cuss so he writes them down and makes a compendium of them and Kofi thinks well there's probably a market for this and at the bit I'm about to read to you he's discovered that there's also a market for the lyrics of certain songs okay and this is why as he fetched the snacks he couldn't help but listen in to his, this is his sister's incredibly loud conversation they were going on about Smash Hits magazine and how the featured lyrics section never had any good music like hip-hop or raga. It was always just some white pop star that you heard on the radio all the time. Shanice was saying how she wished they would print the words to some shabba ranks. Probably too much swearing off of Gloria. I'd blatantly buy it though, said Shanice. With a pause. And I'm reading that because... I'd, and he, he hears that phrase, I'd blatantly buy it though. So he starts a magazine called Paper Jam. Edition one has got Scenario by a tribe called, tribe called West, What About Your Friends by TLC, uh, Nothing But a G Thing by Dr. Dre and Snoop Doggy Dog, and Real Love by Mary J. Bleach. And thought that might resonate with you because you used to yes, write Smash, Smash Hits. I did. <laughs> I used to be a sub editor on Smash Hits magazine for a time. And that's where all your kind of verbal fireworks come from. I think it's where a lot of them come from. I mean, yeah, when I was a child reading Smash Hits, it had a very idiosyncratic language that I think I absorbed. It was like a secret language that only me yeah. and about like two million other nine-year-olds spoke. Yeah. Then as an adult, I worked on Smash Hits and things had changed a lot. But one of my jobs was to play CDs and yeah. check, yeah, check the lyrics to the songs that we were printing. That was one of my tasks. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I really sat up because here's a book. That slags you off. Yeah. You know, it says Nadia may have a lovely radio presence, but her (laughs) magazine was very, very limited. 
yeah, and yeah, okay. didn't really engage with music. Probably. I was I was part of the machine. I was not the You're date. Part of the, you were the man. I wasn't yeah. the man. You were part I, of the man. I wasn't the man. I was part of the machine. <laughs> you were the man, probably. <laughs> Who knows what you were doing? But I want to say this. I, I, I don't know what my expectations of this book were. Mm. But it's a cracking book and it's very funny and the characters are incredibly engaging. It's a bit like reading a really good Bill Forsyth film mm-hmm. if it was set on a, an estate in London with lots of different races and, uh, yeah. and a Catholic school. Yeah, I kind of worried a bit about it because it's very time specific. And okay. whereas if you're reading about the Peloponnesian War, you know it's history. Mm. If you're a kid reading this and it's got high top trainers and Justin Fashionu in it, mm. will you get that that's historical... I don't know because I, I was chatting with someone or I, I don't know if I was chatting or if I was reading someone else talking about this on, on the internet. They were talking about the TV show Stranger Things which is set in the 80s and they yes. were like, well, it's, you know, yes. that's got okay. the, nostal- the nostalgia appeal to me when I watch Stranger Things. I enjoy and understand yeah. the nostalgia. You won't as a child but it almost doesn't matter because they are cool things. No. They are cool in yes. inverted commas. They are quality good things. So it sort yeah. of doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe. I, I, don't I know. just fear for it because I want it to be a hit because it, it's a really, 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 it's a lovely book. It is really lovely. Well, I can't wait. For me, it was lovely to be reminded of a world where you couldn't just look things up. Yeah. You know, so that world that you've just described of having to sit and transcribe lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And play a song over and over and over again because lyric genius isn't just there at the end of your fingertips. Well, I tell you what, Frank, uh, I wish it had been. <laughs> yeah. But and also, as Sam is that world because he's physically printing this stuff out and then selling it individual copies of it. You know, that, it feels like a, in a weird way, it feels more remote than the Peloponnesian War. Right. You know, yeah, the, yeah, the world yeah. that these kids are living in. It's almost like reading a sci fi. The book. near past. But, yeah, the near past is a really strange country. It moves really fast and it's got a real lightness of heart to it and. There's a really brilliant cross-dressing section in it where he has to get disguised as a girl and then ends up in all kinds of trouble. It's really lovely. Well, have you have you if you finished it, please can you add it to this pile right yeah. here? Yeah. Which I'm gonna because so, you can take that smash hits criticism. I can take it on the chin. I'm fine with criticism, Fran, because I've got what was it again? What did the review say? I've got a charming vocal presence. You know what it said. It said. <laughs> You have a lovely radio press. That's what that's what it was. That's what it was. But you have one yeah. too, and never let anyone yeah. tell you that you don't, You're Frank. The wogan of your generation. <gasps> hey, I'll take it. You're the Angela Rippon of yours. Um, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you now listen, listen. The, the sun's gone down a bit. I think we can get back in our yeah. hammocks, Frank. What do you reckon? You can get back in the hammocks for a while. Yeah. Have a little doze, and then I'm um, I'm probably going to crack on with one of these three thousand books that we've got lined here. Never saw the sun go shining so bright Never saw things just going so right Noticing the days go hurrying by When you're in love, my, how they fly Those blue days, all the bears are gone There's nothing but the blue sky From now on Frank, 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 come with me, yeah. come with what, me. What, 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 what? I found something brilliant, really brilliant. What is it? It's a, How brilliant is it's it? It's a creepy old abandoned fun fair. 
Don't make me go to the creepy old abandoned funfair. I'm scared of creepy old abandoned funfairs, and you know I'm scared of creepy oh, old abandoned funfairs. I know, but fun it's fun. What is it that creeps you out? Is it the echoes of <laughs> laughing children long gone? Is it? Are they laughing or are they screaming? That's Who what I want to know. Who knows? But let's go and find out. It is completely abandoned. There'll be nobody there. If it's abandoned and there's nobody there, why is the carousel going round? Come on. Let's go on the carousel, seeing as it's already okay. moving. Just chill, chill. Have a banana. But you said there's nobody else, but there is clearly somebody else here on that carriage thing ahead of us. It looks like... Where? Who could it be? It's like death. Death is sitting there. That's driving not... Driving his horses around oh, the carousel. Oh, Fran, that's not death. It looks to me like Maisie Chan. Maisie, is that you or is it Deb? <laughs> it's me, it's me, it's not Deb. Yay! Yay! Oh, I've always preferred your company to that of Deb, Maisie Chan. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> oh, Maisie. Thank goodness for that. Maisie, we've just very naturally and casually found you on this uh, and carousel. Yet, and yet we're not surprised because, you know, Fun First, Blackpool, <laughs> and one of my favourite books, as you know, is Keep On Dancing, Lizzie Chew, which is set in Blackpool. So here we are. Uh... So I don't know how I got here. I went to sleep last night. Yeah. And when I woke up, I was sitting on this horse. Oh, look at that. First things first, have you bought any snacks with you? I've got jammy dodgers. Uh, I've yes. got some chocolate digestive. Yes, come on. And some cheese sandwiches. You're my favourite person, Maisie. Um, can we get off this carousel, please? Maybe wander back to our beach and have a little picnic. Can we do that? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. That. Although I'm beginning to feel that we've gone mad and we're just hallucinating Maisie Chan because we wanted to speak to her about her wonderful books. Don't say that, Fran, because if that's true, that means the jammy dodgers aren't real oh, yeah. and I can't, I can't cope with that level of disappointment. OK. Maisie, it is lovely to have you on our island. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Also, can I just say hello, fellow... West Midlands, sir. Are you from the West Midlands? I am. I'm from Telford in Shropshire. Where are you oh. from? I am from Birmingham. Oh, the bright lights. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, bright it, was, it was the bright lights. For days out, my mum used to take me to the airport to watch the planes fly away. <laughs> and that was a day out for us. Or we'd go to like Merry Hill Shopping Centre. Merry Hill. I used, to go Merry to, Hill. I used to go to Merry Hill. And there was the, oh, sorry, we'll stop talking about the West Midlands in a minute. <laughs> But, you know, we're an overlook peoples, I think, Midlanders, aren't we? I think we are. I, I love Lizzie Chew so much. I mean, I love both your books, but I think Lizzie Chew's really special to me. It's just fantastic. Do you want to talk about how we got there, how you got there with that? That's such a brilliant story. Yeah. yeah. Lizzie Chew is about Lizzie, who's a carer. So she lives with her granddad and he's acting quite strange at the beginning of the book. And they both love Strictly Come Dancing. And I've got my Strictly Come Dancing <gasps> paddle with me. That's so cool. Ten. A 10 from Maisie. And it was really a book that was inspired by the pandemic. I wrote it during the pandemic and I watched a lot of telly and Strictly Come Dancing felt like this island in the middle of a storm. And on a Saturday night, me and my family would sit down and watch Strictly. And I just loved the joy and the colour. And for a moment, you know, for that night, we could just forget what was going on during the pandemic. And so I wanted to kind of bottle up that joy and put it into this book. So there is a road trip from Glasgow to Blackpool and I spent quite a lot of my childhood going to seasides. <laughs> so Blackpool, you know, it's kind of a special place for me. Can you dance, Maisie? Sorry to jump in. I want to know, are you a ballroom dancer? 
I am not a ballroom dancer. <laughs> um, I go freestyle. Yeah. So I did a contemporary dance class. Whenever there were steps, I just couldn't do it. But whenever there was like, express yourself, be a tree, I could do that stuff. Okay, you're yeah. born, born creative. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and could you pass yourself off as, is it Guan Yin, the goddess in the book? Yes. So Guan Yin is a very famous Chinese goddess and people still pray to her. And she is in the book because the granddad tells Lizzie these Guan Yin stories. It's his favourite Chinese deity. And I put her in the book because I used to dress up as her. <gasps> I would dress as Guan Yin with the wigs and the robe. And I would go to like children's hospitals and museums and tell Chinese myths and legends. And whenever I put that stuff on, I always felt like more compassionate and more goddess-like. So um, I wanted to put that in the book as well. It's so, it's so amazing that those two things come together so easily in the book. You know, the, the ballroom dancing and the ancient goddess, they just seem to fit together so nicely was that conjunction there from the start or did you did you start thinking about strictly ballroom did you start thinking about guan yin or do you start thinking about you know ch child carers which is um i love it that this book is about a child carer and that it's a joyous book about the resourcefulness and the creativity of a child carer so actually i had a vision <gasps> right okay well you know that's normal <laughs> so i had this vision of the goddess guan yin sitting at a bus stop <laughs> and she was just a bit annoyed and I thought oh that would be a good start of a book or character and it felt very British that this goddess was grumpily sat at the bus stop waiting for a bus to come and that was about 12 or 15 years ago and I didn't know what to do with that image it was just stuck in my head and then I knew I wanted to write about young carers because I was a young adult carer myself right. so it was kind of this symbiosis of these two things coming together and my dad had Parkinson's and then dementia and he would often call his carers angel he'd like where's angel oh. and he would see this angel character and so it just all came together and it was sometimes writing is like it feels magical you know you can see it and plan as much as you want but sometimes it just is very magical and it sort of happens if you give it time and let it if you let yourself have some space so did it, did it take a long time to write this book it was very fast, actually. So it took about nine months. For me, that's quite fast because Danny Chung was a couple of years. I was going to ask because Danny Chung, I, I enjoyed Danny Chung so much. And um, a lot of the things that you guys are saying about, that Frank is saying about Lizzie Chu, I could apply to Danny Chung, the seamlessness with which you weave themes. It's never heavy handed. There's so many moments really touched me in Danny Chung because it's about his, his grandmother, comes to say and there's a language barrier isn't there between him and his grandmother and I had that same thing with my grandparents I barely saw my grandparents and when they did come over it was really mysterious to me and you describing him meeting his grand for the first time and not really understanding who this person is and what they're on about really resonated but you do it in a very natural light way thank you <laughs> What was your relationship like with your grandparents or what is that like now if they're still around? So I didn't uh, grow up having grandparents because I'm adopted. Mm. But then later in life, in my late 20s, I found out that I had a massive Chinese family in Solihull and Bromsgrove. So no very close way. to where I lived, which I didn't know. And I met my grandmother. She lived in Bromsgrove. And so wow. 
I would go and stay at her house, you know, my late 20s, and we couldn't really speak to each other because she couldn't, her English wasn't great and I couldn't speak Cantonese. So it was lots of pointing and lots of feeding, <laughs> um, lots of nodding yeah. that went on. So I put that experience in the book and also my kids' grandparents are Spanish. So again, they can't really communicate with their grandparents. Um, but there's lots of love. There's lots of physicality. Yeah. And I think also I love British comedy like Norman Wisdom. So I think that kind of physicality and British humour comes in. So the Nine Eye character, she's Chinese, but she's very physical. She doesn't yes. speak much in the book. but She takes the top bunk. I love that. Yeah. The grandma takes the top bunk. <laughs> yeah, she takes the top bunk. She squeezes and hugs and feeds. Um, so yeah, they're kind of based on people that I have met and like my grandmother and my mother-in-law that's what really really moved me was even though there's this language barrier the love between them is so intense and pure and gorgeous it was yeah it's fantastic and shortlisted for the Blue Peter Book Award winner of the Branford Bowes Award I mean you must be blown away you know you've exploded onto the scene with it really yeah I didn't think anyone would want to read Danny Chung does not do math and it's just been amazing two years to be honest and I feel like it is making a difference because yeah you know I'll get a, a British Chinese kid come up to me and go oh I'm I'm Chinese too they want me to know I'm Chinese too yeah. and so I think that's very rare we haven't seen that before but again both of my books I wanted them to feel very British yeah even though they're about Chinese characters they're quite British books and again Blackpool me is very British isn't it with the, the donkeys yeah, yeah, on the yeah. beach and the chips and the cigarette smell and donuts and the silly hats that you wear they do feel very British and it reminded me of when I was reading Danny Chun um, particularly it kind of reminded me of that you've got the voice so spot on that internal voice of of a 10 year old in, in Danny Chun's case it reminded me of kind of those Judy Bloom books yeah. where she's writing about American kids but you know their background is Jewish or they hear their aunt talk about the war or whatever I suppose what I mean is is that your voice you you are talking directly to the child as a child you're never kind of lecturing you created children who who own both those things like like initially she yeah. you, she she absolutely owns Guan Yin and absolutely owns Strictly Ballroom because they're, they're both part of a heritage and that's and that, that comes so naturally. I, I mean, I did just go great. I mean, I, I would just like to say about the Gran and Danny Chung that what I kind of responded to straight, I mean, all the warmth and all the she wonderful character, all that. But also I really admired that you set that challenge of having characters who couldn't speak easily to each other. Because quite a lot of time when you're reading children's books, it's a kind of down the middle of the page read. You know, it's made, it's all spelled out. And you've really kind of set yourself a tough number there. And it really pays off. You know, it's it's so much funnier because you've had to sort of grapple with that language gap and, uh, you know, just hats off. It's proper writing. Oh, thank you. When I write, I want my characters to sound like real children. Yeah. They really do. Yeah, I'll, I'll read a kid's book and I'm like, oh, I, I don't think a 10-year-old would use this word. It sounds, you know, sometimes it sounds like an adult's written it. Do you listen to kind of how kids chat to each other or...? Is that just something that's naturally come to you? I like people. I've worked in lots of different jobs. I've been a cleaner. I worked at Blockbusters for quite a long time when I was studying. I've worked in the charity sector. And, like, I do listen. I'm a magpie. I listen to what they say, the cadence of their voice. 
what they talk about and especially my own children. I think my son, when I wrote Danny Chunk, he was about eight. So I would listen to what he was interested in and thought, oh, maybe I could put that into this character, you know. Yeah. You know, he wants to be with the cool, what the cool kids have got at school. He's into Pokemon, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I listen. Listen and retain. I think lots of writers do that, don't they? They eavesdrop on people. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. It's all about eavesdropping, isn't it? Sneaking up behind people in the supermarket queue, but not looking sinister. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, all I know is there's a lot well, of talk at the beginning of this conversation. There's a lot of talk about jammy dodges and where are they? Where are the jammy Brand, dodges? That's not, that's not a polite way We've to speak We've been polite to long guest. enough. We're... Maisie, please, may I have a jammy dodger? That's how of course you, you can. Dad, thanks, Maisie. Oh, sorry, Fran, none for you. Um, um, Maisie, another thing that I want to talk about is in Danny Chun. You really brilliantly describe what it feels like to be a child who looks different from the children around them, but kind of doesn't realise until it's pointed yes. out. Because that was very much my experience yes. growing up. I'd just be like, yay, I like Top Cat and He-Man and playing with Lego. And then someone would call me a rude word or, or whatever. Yeah. Something would happen and you'd go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but you do that so well in Danny Chun. And that, I think that can... I think that is the kind of thing that is kind of best written by someone who's probably been through it themselves. Yeah. When you were growing up in the Midlands, were you like me, a bit of a unicorn in terms of being non-white? Because I was where I grew up. Or were there other people around you with similar heritage? I was quite lucky because uh, we lived in the council house, but it was um, near Birmingham University. So there were quite a lot of international students who sent their kids to my school. So actually... I would have friends from Malaysia, Pakistan, Iraq, you know, they would come for a couple of years, one or two years, and I would make friends with them and then they would leave. (laughs) Every time I would have a best friend, it was so sad. Um, You know, my friends would leave and then I'd have to make new friends. And I, but I feel I was really lucky to meet people from all around the world at such a young age. Um, And even on my road, I had a Pakistani family. I would go there and play, have some apple after school. Um, so I was, I feel like I was very lucky to live in that kind of environment. Yeah. And my mum and dad fostered other Chinese kids, so I wasn't alone. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Just thinking about what you said about Bromsgrove and that kind of throughput of people from university. You identify, we, we are the stories that we tell, aren't we? So you, you're kind of telling each other who you are, where you're from, what your heritage is. Do you, do you love those sort of storytelling char- characters? You, you're really good at kids, but you're also brilliant at grandparents. And that sense, I mean, you're really brilliant at grandparents. That's something that's often absent, I think. And so that business of passing something on and telling a story and we becoming, owning our own stories. Is that a thing that you, you find attractive? Is it? Yeah, so especially in Lizzie Chu. The Wai Gong character, so Wai Gong means granddad, granddad yeah. in Mandarin. Yeah. He tells her these Chinese fairy tales from Guanyin, and it is a passing on of culture. I mean, for I think for a lot of diasporic children, you know, like me and Nadia, we, we might not feel that link to our roots. And so these kind of passing down of these tales is a connection for us. It's like something we can hold on to and pass on and feel that we belong to something bigger than ourselves you know we might have grown up in Birmingham but actually I'm part of these Chinese myths and legends that are hundreds of years old and etc so I think it is really important 
And actually, I just spent a lot of time around old people. So I love <laughs> that a lot of them are actually, they're like young people. Mm. So there's kind of this exchange between my characters. The young ones sometimes are a bit more mature. And then the older characters sometimes are a bit immature in some ways. And it just shows that it doesn't matter what age you are, you can still have fun and care for each other and be cared for. But those stories, yeah, those stories are really important, I think. I mean, I lived with my grand when I was little, and that's something in the book that I really relate to, that whole kind of like, now I'm old. <laughs> but I feel as though I'm a lot older because I grew up with this person who'd be like 150 now or something, you know. So I feel as though I've got memories that go oh. back way beyond when I was born. Because old people live in the past and children live in a, in a fantasy world. So we're both living in kind of metaphysical other dimensions, and that's kind of what we've got in common, maybe. Well, also, I, I was just thinking when you were talking, Maisie, what maybe what those two age groups have in common is they're both maybe sometimes a bit underestimated or underserved by the and powerless, the centre ground and powerless. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they both have that in common. They both have that. They're both ignored in some ways by the people in charge. And maybe that's why there's this kind of gorgeous coming together, you know, unifying the power of generations. Yeah. Yeah, because my dad, Ron, my adopted dad, when I would ask him about, you know, his past, he would always go back to his childhood. He remembers being down the bunkers during the war. He remembers collecting shrapnel from the planes and, you know. Wow. And I was thinking that would have been terrifying, you know, being a child during World War Two. But he just he quite enjoyed it, I think. He, mm. he just remembers, like, being interested in all the planes and, you know, and going to look for pieces of shrapnel. And I wish actually I, I knew more about that. I wish I had mm. recorded some of his stories and stuff. Because actually that then makes you the person that you are. You know, that made my dad how he was when he was 70 or 80. It was all of those experiences. Do you read other children's books? And if so, do you read books in that kind of world? So I have just judged the Jalak Prize, Children's and the <gasps> Prize. I think I've Amazing. looked at like 200 books. And I've wow. just judged the Branford Bows, which was 21 books. So I've read a lot of children's fiction. Mm. I've read some crackers lately. Do you want to yeah, know? You can leave them with us. Leave them with us. I'd love to know, please. That I just read Seed by Carol Lewis. Oh, I love that book. Frank, your name's on the cover. Yeah, I loved it. It's Absolutely so lovely. It. It's magical realism. Um, it's magical and they actually travel somewhere. And I live allotment stories. I don't know what it is yeah. about allotments. Anything, anything set on an allotment, I'm there. I'm absolutely there. I've never, I've never read one book set on an allotment, so I will happily read Seed. You've never read The Lion, the Witch and the Courgette. <laughs> I'm reading this one called Fable House. It's out in June. Oh, yeah. It's by E.L. Norrie. It's got everything you could want from a children's book. It's got Black Knights. It's uh, got a children's home set in the 50s. It's got Arthurian legend. There's so much good stuff out there. Fantastic. Well, can do you mind leaving those with us? Suppose we I have can. thousands of books on the island, but we need more. We need, we need more. more all the time. Thank you, Maisie. Okay, you can keep them. Thank you. Thank you so much, See, frank politeness, manners. Yes, manners cost nothing. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Maisie. That's Thank why you, I got Maisie. the jammy dodgers, and you You're didn't. Welcome. <laughs> So Maisie, thank you so much for visiting us and leave it. Are you going to leave the biscuits as well? Can I just check? I'll leave the jammy dodgers, but I'm going to take the chocolate digestives with me. Are they milk or plain chocolate digestives? Milk chocolate, obviously. Oh, that's fine. You can take them then. You can take them. Thank you very much. Everybody, Thank happy. you for the books. Thank you for the books. Thank you for the jammy dodgers. How, um, how are you going to get back? 
I think I'm going to dig a hole and see if yeah. I can come out in Glasgow. Okay. That might work. Okay. Yeah, that... Use a spade. I think it's going to take a while, though. I think you should start digging, Maisie. Are you two just going to sit there? You're not going to no, help? No, we're not going to help. Well, <laughs> you've left these biscuits now. I'm distracted by biscuits. You've got books to read and biscuits to okay. eat. And hammocks to swing All in. right, all right. We'll shout goodbye down this hole. Goodbye, Maisie. Goodbye. Bye, Maisie. Take care. Bye. Bye. Do you know what we should do now? What? We should go and check the shell. Oh yes, we haven't Where's checked. The we haven't checked the shell today. Uh, the shell is on the shell shelf. Oh yes, yeah, so the shelf shelf shelf. <laughs> yeah. Let's check the shelf 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 to see if Emily Drabble has left us any messages about new releases in children's fiction. Really hope she has. It's such a convenient shell. Love that shell. Hi, Nadia and Frank. This is Emily Drabble from Book Trust, the children's reading charity, again. You've got the hammocks, you've got some books. Um, hopefully you've got the ones I sent you by Hot Air Balloon. I've got five more great recommendations for you and I want to tell you about them. So the first book I want to tell you about is called Nature Trail. It's published by Orchard and I was thinking about you on the island. I think you'll be doing lots of nature trails. So this beautiful book is a must read. It's a poem by the incredible Benjamin Zephaniah who has a way with words like no other and then these illustrations by Neela A are just heavenly. So much detail to pour over with all the little bugs, the butterflies and the charming worlds. It just makes you want to lay on the ground and breathe in nature in all its glory. My favourite page is when the night time comes and sometimes some dragonflies come humming and I thought... If you were ever creeped out by some of the insects on the island, this book is going to help you keep your fears at bay to know that these bugs are your friends. I want to tell you about Fable House by E.L. Norrie and it's published by Bloomsbury. Oh, this is a great, great story. When Heather, um, the main character, moves to Fable House at Children's Home, she finds a safe haven and she finds real friends for the first time in her life. They roam the ancient woodlands together and it's all set in 1950s Britain. They meet a knight from way back in time. He's called Palamedes. You may know him from King Arthur's legends. He's a black knight. So they are amazed to find a man who looks a bit like them as all the kids in the home are the children of black soldiers and white mums who'd met in the Second World War. And then their mum, for whatever reason, couldn't look after them anymore. But something really weird is going on beyond meeting a knight from the mythical past. The children and staff at the children's home start behaving really weirdly as if they're possessed. So it's up to Heather and her best friends, they call themselves the Romers, to defeat the powers of darkness and save Fable House and all who call it home. Oh, it's just a brilliant book full of hope and magic. And I love the way Heather and her friends, they don't feel like they're the chosen ones, you know, like Harry Potter does, but they become the chosen ones through the magic of friendship, really, and their kind of growing self-belief. Um, it kind of makes you think about your own destiny and being the architect of your own life and believing in yourself. And I thought it was just such an inspiring message for all readers, children and adults who might be reading the book. Um, and also lots about Arthurian legend as well. I think it's so well written and I'm very excited that there's another book in the series on its way. So I'm definitely going to be reading that. And I bet you will too after reading this book.
I want to recommend Timid. It's by Harry Woodgate, who wrote and illustrated the book, and it's published by Little Tiger. I think you'll love this uplifting picture book aimed at, I'd say, a six-year-old, but you'll be fine to read it yourselves. We meet Timmy, who loves to dance around in spangly costumes, singing along to songs at the top of their voice, but Timmy has never performed in front of an audience. They are afraid of the limelight and very timid, and so much so that an inner shy lion, who you actually see in the book, follows them around pretty much everywhere. And every time they try and talk to someone new, let alone sing in front of someone, this lion roars and stops it from happening. So how can Timmy tame this lion? Now, I don't know if Nadia or Frank, if you were shy when you were a kid, but I'm thinking this is a brilliantly helpful book to read with children who may be experiencing shyness, anxiety, or in any way struggling with confidence. So it's a stunning book. I highly recommend it. And when you actually get the book, you will love the lion. The lion's mane is beautiful colors and um, such a lovely book to read. I want to tell you about Budgie. It's by the Children's Laureate, Joseph Coelho. It's illustrated by David Barrow and it's published by Barrington Stoke. It's actually in the Little Gem series. It's about a little boy called Miles who finds an abandoned budgie outside his tower block flat, calls him Pippin and tries to look after him. Um, well, it's actually a bit of a sad story, but I thought you might like to think about loss on the island and deal with some difficult subjects. Maybe you'd have to eat a bird. I mean, I don't know what's happening to you. I don't know how you're eating on the island. Not that the boy in this book eats the bird who's called Pippin, but <laughs> read it and you'll know what I mean. This is just a lovely chapter book for brand new readers. It's really easy to read and it makes you really want to learn to read and be a reader. Unlike some of the learning to read books are a bit boring, aren't they? This is absolutely brilliant. It's also a book that's perfect for dyslexic readers, just like all Barrington Stoke books. There has lots of blank space on each page, a special dyslexia font and thick paper so the text and the artwork don't show through the page, which really works. And it also has great facts about budgies on the front inner cover. Probably, I'm guessing, there are budgies or budgie-like birds on the island, so this will make you think about those birds as well. So, OK, I hope you love this book. Okay, <laughs> this book, I Am Happy, by Michael Rosen, illustrated by Robert Starling, published by Walker. Well, if you're feeling at all down on the island of Brilliant, just open this book. You'll see on the very first page a smiling red balloon, so joyous you'll immediately feel delighted. Then read the book. This doggy is so happy, happy, happy. You will be happy, happy, happy as the dog sings on a swing and skips through puddles, does somersaults, puts on a show, twists, twirls. It's basically a guide to playing all day and the end papers will fill you with joy. This book has got to be seen to be believed and I think it could make everyone happy and fill their heart with joy. So please enjoy this book because it's so incredible. 
Okay, I've given you all my recommendations now. I'm going to get these packaged up to you and sent on the hot air balloon. I have just so enjoyed listening to your first podcast. I can't wait to hear your second one. And I really hope that you get this message and that I can be in it. Okay, bye. Well, 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 there was something in the shell after all. On the shell shelf. The shell is full of surprises. Well, listen, what I want to know is where are we going to put these biscuits that Maisie left? Because I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the chimpanzees. I think you've put most of them away already. Yeah, all right. Don't biscuit shame. Don't biscuit shame me. (laughs) There's no need for that. Not what you like. Just because you're more of a banana guy. I'm always I am. A do you like a banana? Dear. Do, do you like a banana? Do you hold? Do you peel bananas the correct way? I peel, peel, peel them with my feet, like a proper. You're not meant to peel them you know, with your feet. That's not what I meant. <laughs> what I meant was, you know, the stalky bit. That's actually your yeah. banana handle, and you're actually meant to yes, hold that. And you peel from the other and end. And you peel it from the other end. Yeah, I didn't. I, I was this many years old when I found that out, but it changed my life. Do you know, also know? I doubled my banana intake. Did it? You can have. A banana in each hand. Do you know what the limit is, your daily banana intake? Is there a limit? There is, because you can't have too much potassium else. It can make you very ill. But the limit is about six or seven a day. I mean, I'm not a medical profession, no. Oh, I'm actually quite close to that limit then. What? Yeah, you've been banana frightening me. No. Don't go over get... six bananas a day, Frank, because you could okay. get some kind of... What will happen failure. to me? What's the, what are the side effects? Of, it's, a bit, it's a bit dark. made you happy. No, not too much potassium. Lay off, Frank. <laughs> okay, okay. I think, I think we should probably have a nap now, Frank. I think we've been think talking too much. <laughs> Let's have a nap. <laughs> okay. Night, night, Frank. Good night. Good night, Nadia. Good night, Frank. Good night, convenient shell. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, Maisie Chan down a hole. (laughs) Good night, creepy abandoned fairground. Good night, soul-surviving jammy dodger. Good night, ukulele of trio. Good night, Jeff Bird, brilliant producer. Good night, Nadia Shireen, wonderful radio presence. (laughs) Good night, Frank Cottrell boys. <laughs> <laughs>